Hey party people, it is September the 22nd, 2021, and the time in Egypt is 8.39 p.m. Today um, was a good day. It was a challenging day. Um, At the school, um, my intensive class, the one with all the boys, um, the girl student was absent. And the boys get really, really frustrated because there are days... I realized that the days that they were, like, going to art and music, they weren't supposed to be going there. There is an intensive calendar in their classroom. And whether the class has art or not, the intensive calendar tells the intensive students where they're supposed to go. So we're finally kind of getting all of this stuff straightened out. So today, they wanted to go to art and you know I had to force them to come with me and one of them you know he ran off and skipped class so I wrote him up and I had four students and two of them were just being really difficult and one of the the one of the smarter ones who I'm realizing you know I told y'all he has a disconnect with comprehension so he can read something but he doesn't understand what he's read But if you ask him, okay, so for instance, today we studied uh, how to turn nouns into adjectives. So he can read how to turn a noun into an adjective. And then I can say, how do you turn a noun into an adjective? And he kind of stutters around answering it. But if I say, um, how do you turn love into, you know, what do I have to do with, with not love? How do, what do I have to do with peace? To turn it into an adjective, he'll say he'll say peaceful. So there's a disconnect in his comprehension. Anyway, long story short, him and one of the other students really fought me today. Like really, really fought having to come to class instead of being able to go to art or being able to go to PE or being able to go to whatever elective class that the rest of the class went to. So we had a whole moment. A whole moment. It was one of my fuck these kids moments because these kids really do have permission and authority to argue their case. You know, it's not fair. The other kid did this, you know, and one of the the two of the students, I have an Asian student who I really think is going through the conversion of being Muslim because he has an Asian name, but He wants me to call him by his Arabic name. And I don't have a problem with that. Then one of the other kids, the kid who I told you has the face of an adult man, he finally was like, I get it. And I think he reached a point to where he saw my frustration. And he didn't want to get no smoke from his parents. So he was like, I understand, miss. You know, so he settled down. But it was two today. I had to go all the way in, like all the way in, and explain to them that, you know, you bring disgrace on your family when you fight having to learn. And, you know, I was told that if you do well in here, if you get your grades up, then the second term you get taken out of here. They know why they're in in, um, the intensive class. They know why they're being pulled. And I'm too far away from home. I tell him that all the time. I'm too far away from home. So he was like, you don't get to go to Texas every evening? Hell no, I don't get to go to Texas every evening. That's a two-day two flight, 14 hours. 
And I did not come here to fail. I came here to win. And I'm going to win with or without you. And it doesn't have to be me. I could be anybody standing here. You could have a teacher that's worse or you could have a teacher that's better. But there's not a teacher that's going to be in my position that is not coming here to teach you. And then, you know, of course, after you start kind of preaching to them a little bit, they'll do something like, okay, miss. And I was like, no, nah, we're not going to do that either. We're definitely not going to do that. You finna get this lecture. <laughs> you finna get delivered this whole ass lecture. So y'all can come in here ready to win or you can come in here ready to lose. Either way, I'm the coach. And it just frustrated me. It really frustrated me because I get it when kids are resistant to learning. I totally get it. Because sometimes it's just like you don't want to come to a place to learn something that you don't understand. And a lot of times when you don't understand it, you don't care about it. And it's hard to make somebody care about language. Especially when, because the kid will say, they was like, I don't even use this word. And I'm, I'll say something like, yeah, but you eventually you will. And it needs to be a part of your vocabulary. And the kid will say, okay, miss. Like, I get that. Like, that's like the beautiful part about these kids is that how they, resp- how they respond to education, it throws me sometimes because I just wasn't, it's not something that I experienced in the States. I experience sometimes a very lethargic, um, very dis, I mean, super disconnected um, attitude towards learning. Whereas here, it's like they're connected. And once you, if you can say it to them in the right way, they'll actually respond and say, you know what, you're right, miss. And I understand what you're saying. And I get what you're saying. I wasn't getting that in the States. And I'm not saying, I'm not comparing and contrasting in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Because kids in America are beautiful in a totally different way when it comes to learning. Because when a kid in America gets it, it's, there's a light that comes on. Whereas with these kids, the light is already on. It's just, how can I make the light brighter? How can I make it brighter? And I'm talking about even like, at this point, the lowest level kid that I've come across. The light is on. And I wholeheartedly believe it's because they already have all of these languages in them. Um, Every week I have to teach them three sentences. I don't have to teach them. They're already in the system. But every week we uh, show them what they call high frequency sentences. So it's a sentence that they have to write in English. And then they have to write the same sentence in French. And then they have to write the same sentence in Arabic. And they have to write the sentence three times. So today we was all playing around with language. And that feels good to me. It feels good to know that these kids, like, you you stand a chance just because you know languages. And they don't even realize how blessed they are. They don't even realize how blessed they are. So, um, but that wore me out. Having to situate kids and... Having to step outside of myself to nag, fuss, lecture, whatever you want to call it. It's debilitating. It's draining. It's frustrating. It's annoying. And I don't like being annoyed. 
especially by somebody's uh, kid or children or whatever it is. I do not like being annoyed. So um, I came home today and again, locked myself in my room and went to bed. <laughs> I went to bed like I was like, let me go to sleep because otherwise I will uh, obsess over bullshit. So here I am at bedtime, wide awake, but I'm finna go to bed after this. I'm gonna put Karen Hunter on, listen to Dr. Carr, and I'll be asleep before it goes off for sure. Um, I realized I haven't watched TV in years. Like, I literally haven't watched TV in years. I go over to my mom's house and she would have CNN or Fox News on or something like that. But I realized I haven't literally watched television, like broadcast television in the way that broadcast television existed before cable TV. I haven't watched it in years. I don't watch the news. I barely listen to it. If it wasn't for Twitter, I really wouldn't know what was going on. And I'm at a point now where I really do believe black people are born into the dream, into the into the dream life. We come out of our waking lives into the dream life. Am I saying that this life isn't real? Not for us. Because it's hard for me to believe that we could be born into this kind of oppression. And I get it. We were once kings and queens, but what kind of karma is this? To where we have to say, well, it is what it is. To a whole life. To an entire life. To settle into being victims. To settle into... And I'm not saying we are victims. I'm saying to be born into a world where... When we're told about ourselves, it's a, it's a victimization history. It's a victimization culture. It's a victimization um, reality. Of they did this to us. They are doing this to us. My spirit is being destroyed by what's happening to those Haitians in Texas. To a point where I'm like abolish Texas. Just abolish the state. And what is it going to take. For black people and Mexican people. And, and other dis enfranchise groups to rise up and turn that state over I don't care if it's pink it can no longer be red I don't care if it turns yellow I don't care if it turns mauve I don't care if it turns green I don't care if it turns baby blue But it can no longer remain red. And it can no longer remain with the mind state that it can, it can succeed. It can no longer uh, <laughs> populate its borders with racist men. Mexican or otherwise. White or otherwise. What is it going to take? I come from praying people. There are very few people in my family who have a history of civil rights activism. 
And that bothers me. My grandmother's sister, Eva Gray. My grandmother's sister, Eva Gray. At one point in her life, hosted people like Jesse Jackson and Martin Luther King. Cooked for these people. And I didn't find out about that until she was dead and gone and I was reading her obituary. Because nobody talked about it. My cousin June Gray. She was a news anchor. She was a news anchor in Dallas. Got involved with helping a friend who was dealing with domestic abuse. The abuser jumped on his on 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 her friend and she got involved and the abuser hit her and she was like that was it for me. So she's in California. But without that story what are we doing? And I know I have it in my blood. I got a little Harriet Tubman in me. I do. I got I might be about 2% blood Harriet Tubman because I've never wanted to sit back and pray for my enemies in that way. And when I tell you, I don't even know what's like, I I just woke up and I I was right here. But I look at these kids. I literally look at these kids and I'm totally like, there is no such thing as race. There is no such thing as race. There is no such thing as race. And as long as we play into it, even for the culture, we're playing into systematic whiteness to an extent. I'm wholeheartedly on board with being global citizens. We are the majority. Nowhere in our lives have we ever been the minority. We've never been the minority. So what is it going to take? In this dream state of having to vote and pray our way to freedom. That's crazy to me. That is so crazy to me. Um, one of the things that I realized is different here. Oh, y'all know what? I was so wrong. I was so wrong. I was so excited to come here and think I was going to be teaching um, something totally different than what I came from. Um, but I got to give a shout out to Lancaster ISD because what I am is prepared for this. So... In Texas, they have the TOS test. Is it the TOS test? I don't forgot. I feel like I want to say task test, but it's the TOS, which is that one big test. And I can remember kids having full-blown anxiety attacks, moving, uh, moving into before they took the test, having anxiety attacks while they were taking the test, and having anxiety attacks behind, attacks behind what their scores were going to be. Well, here they get tested every other week. So it's not one big test, but it's a major test like every other week or every three weeks. 
And I can deal with that. I can deal with that because it's different information and it's the information that they are learning in the classroom. So these kids are really exam proficient. By the time they leave here, they know how to take different types of tests because the test is not just, okay, so like the TAS test is reading. Well, you take it in like all the different subject areas, social studies, um, writing. But here, they take the same test, but as their English teacher, they'll take one test, and that test will encompass... Okay, so, for instance, they're reading Hannibal right now. So when they take the, the test over Hannibal, they take the comprehension part, which covers so many pages. So, like, like for instance, this past week, I could only teach pages 9 through 14, Last week, I could only teach pages one through eight. And with those pages comes the comprehension, the vocabulary, and a little bit of the grammar. So, for instance, the vocabulary words, they will have to know how to not only know the definition of the words and how to use the words, but they have to also be able to transform some of those words from nouns into adjectives. They have to know what words are proper nouns and how to turn those proper nouns into adjectives. They have to know which suffixes to put on these words in order to transform them. So that's the, um, the description of how they're tested and it's my responsibility to make sure that they do that and it's it's a task because some days I have to cover literally eight pages in two days which is a lot for sixth graders it's a lot for anybody because you're dealing with kids (laughs) you're dealing with kids who just they're young and they don't want to pay attention They can't. I ain't going to say they don't want to. They can't. And these kids have been given full authority. Like, I don't know what they're doing at home, but they they will argue back. And they have no concept of, don't you hear me talking right now? Like, I can be literally be in the middle of teaching. And out of nowhere to be like, miss, such and such and such and such. So I really have to enforce the whole raising your hand policy. As a matter of fact, when I was fussing at my boys today, uh, they're not my boys. When I was fussing at the boys today, um, I said to them, nobody wants to be here right now. Nobody. And especially me, I said I could be in my room writing, writing a book. And I'm, I'm proceeding to light into them about you know, having to stop the whole class to just, like, talk to them. And one of them says, Miss, you wrote a book? (laughs) But because I am who I am, I'm fussing. I go, yeah, I wrote three. Well, Miss, how do I know that you wrote a book? Google me. So that's one of the differences that these kids get tested, like, literally once a month. Literally, and it's a big, it's a major test. It is an exam. They they are very much aware that they have exams every week. I mean, not every week, but every once a month, a major exam that 
the entire grade takes. So I'm still not able to really test and teach them in a way that accommodates my teaching style. Because in Lancaster, I was able to create games. I could do whatever. And they say that you can do that. But you can't really do that. Because if it doesn't lead to successful outcomes on that test, you in trouble. Now you got people coming into your classroom. Now you got, <laughs> you got to, they put you on a plan. You know, people put you on a plan. Like you need rehabilitation in order to teach. But I'm not, I'm not upset at all. I'm not uh, tripping. I'm glad that I realized it when I realized it. And the entire time, the more information I got, I kept saying, I'm ready for this. I can, I'm prepared for this. I come out of, a, I come out of a, a system that is way more rigorous and way more um, ridiculous than this one am i saying that the school the schooling system that i came out of is ridiculous yes i am yes i am because that toss test is it's a fool created by fools um designed to keep people in a foolish situation kids can learn how to read write and comprehend without having to focus on that type of test Anyway, so another difference here is that um, they take this break. There's a break within the day. And at first I was like, are these kids going to lunch? And it's just a break. It's just an extra 20 minutes in the school day where kids can go outside and socialize. I can't explain it. It's just called a break. It's a break. And the babies get their break. The middle school grade has a break. And then the high school grades have a break. It's not lunch. It's not recess. Even though the kids can go outside, it's just a break. And it's a beautiful thing. I think that is a part of the success of these kids as well. Now, I'm in a place that boasts we don't have any special needs kids. I don't believe that. I'm in front of these kids, and I'm, I'm telling y'all, you can be in a classroom two years, and after two years, you know when a kid needs to be tested. You know when a kid has issues. But the pride of Egyptian people, they have so much pride. They have so much pride. And they will not, do not receive and or accept that their kids. They want all of their kids to, to feel equal. And I get that. However, as an educator, it could be problematic in the long term. I don't know. And I personally am not invested to find out. That's not where my interests lie. But I am teaching students who for sure are on the spectrum. Takes one to know one. 
So I don't know. I don't know, you know, about that. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not a parent, so I, I can understand that a pa- no parent wants to discover that their child has needs that require a certain type of um, organized education process. Nobody. Nobody wants to feel like their kid is not, um, quote unquote, normal, whatever that means. We all learn differently. We all listen differently. We all comprehend differently. But when you put a student in a classroom and they fall behind or they can't pay attention or they're constantly getting in trouble, you're setting them up for failure in life, not just in the classroom. And the education of our children is about the future of our freedom. I don't care where the kids are from. I could be in Scandinavia teaching a classroom full of blonde-haired, blue-eyed kids, and I would be saying the same thing. Because these are human beings. The teachers here, they stressed out. They stressed out. I've never seen schedules like... There are teachers here who teach fourth grade English language arts, and then by the end of the day, they're teaching 12th grade social studies. <laughs> it's wacky. You know, so no wonder 3.30 is it. That's the line. That's the deadline. Because people be out. They be out. And I'm talking about full schedules where you might be teaching five different grades. Full classes Different subjects. Full classes, different subjects. Find me that teacher in America. Find me that teacher. I get it when you're teaching the same grade levels and you're teaching one subject, but I literally know people right now who are teaching four or five different grade levels, different subjects, every grade level. Which means, yes, you got to write a lesson plan for each of those every week. So you're writing five different lesson plans. And the lesson plans here are as complex, if not more complex, than the lesson plans that I had to do back in the States. The only difference is, now that I understand the philosophy behind the lesson plan, which means, which, which, which is, if you just do what our lesson plan says, you'll be successful. And it's true. If you just stick to those pages, the only difference is in America, there was no, like here, like I said, you only have a week to teach pages one through eight. And that's just for the reader. You have a week to teach pages one through eight in the reader. You have a week to teach pages one through four in grammar. You have a week to teach anthology. It's like a set amount of curriculum per week that must be taught. It wasn't like that in the States. They were more about teaching comprehension. Like you need to teach, you need to make sure your kids can comprehend. So I don't care what they read. They can read Walter D. Myers or they can read F. Scott Fitzgerald as long as they know how to comprehend. Whereas here it's like, no, they're reading Hannibal. You read one through eight. These are the questions that they must be able to answer by the end of the week. And you only, this is what it is. They tell you how many days you have to teach it. 
So they don't care if you teach it Monday and Thursday. Well, they do because certain things come first. So reading and um, reading and grammar come first. So I may have only two days to teach pages one through eight of Hannibal, but I got to get it taught that week. Whereas in the States, that wasn't the case. There was no dates set aside. It's like, I don't, we don't care what you're teaching as long as when they get ready to take that test at the end of the year or in the middle of the year, or whenever they take that test, they know how to do this. So what I am in favor of is that kind of, um, I like the fact that you're giving me two days. I need a little bit more time. I would rather have two weeks to teach one through eight and all this other stuff that comes with it. But it's a more focused style of of lesson planning and I always say lesson planning and they be like what are you talking about Miss Spencer and I be like I mean the weekly lesson they call it the weekly lesson but it's a lesson plan and when you fall it's easier to track when you fall behind because when the kids test in three weeks you get to see what they did and did not miss whereas in the states the testing is so set apart, so far out between each other that by the time you get test results from a practice exam, shit, half the teachers, you don't even know where they at in the classroom. You don't know what's going on. <laughs> you don't know what's going on. So um, I hope that makes sense. I hope that makes sense, especially to those that are in the classroom, because a big part of this experience for me is about being a teacher. It's about being an educator. And it's about discovering the parts of me that are attracted to education and that that um, are successful in education and the parts of me that are like, this is why I can't commit to education. Because I'm learning that possibly all around the globe, the people who are on the front lines are absolutely convinced that how we're being told to teach these kids is not the, the full answer when it comes to their comprehension. And the funny thing about Egypt is so many, the working class is so pervasive here. Like literally the construction workers being flip-flops. The janitors at our school, they being flip-flops. We literally had, when the kids go out on the field and play, when they come in, immediately there are janitors out there on the field picking up all the trash. Immediately. I saw it today from, with my own eyes. That don't happen in the States. Matter of fact, kids ain't allowed to take nothing out. You can't take no water bottles out there with you. Well, maybe they do in some schools. I ain't been to every school. So my witnessing is limited. But it's valuable because I'm able to compare. Oh, my God. One conservative place with another conservative place. Texas and Egypt. The mentality is almost the same based on what the women and children are allowed to do versus what the men are allowed to do.
The only difference in Texas is that you have a lot more. See, in Texas, white women run the education system. I'm going to put that out there. White conservative women run the education system in Texas, and they've been given that authority. That's got to change. And luckily, we live in a system where people of color and culture are able to begin to infiltrate these spaces. But if we can't create that desire in the future, in the children, then the wrong people will continue to be in charge of these spaces. We can no longer be held to just being parents, PTA members, school board members. We need to get up into these testing spaces. We need to get up into these governing bodies that control our education system. We've got to. And how do we nurture that in our young people? How do we make them interested? Because right now, everybody's on that. Got to get this dollar. Want to be famous. Let me get on the gram. So how do we cultivate our future leaders in politics, in education? Which takes me back to this whole, like, this is the dream world. Because a lot of this happens beyond our control. People tend to be just blessed with the ability to rise up. Be the wheat from the chaff. And we don't know how they, they're blessed that way, but it's cosmic, it's ancestral. And then there are those who we can nurture and cultivate up into these spaces. Let me see, what else have I noticed that is different? Um, we got a really nice teacher's lounge. <laughs> Where I came from, I don't even think we had one. I remember it being the printing room. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't remember an actual lounge. But I, I remember we would always be in, in where the printers were. But we have an actual lounge where we have tables. I have an actual drawer in the room where I can keep my things. Um, the English language arts people, we have a section in, in the room so that when we need to like sit down and kind of talk about things, we can as a group. Um, there are several computers, and it's a really nice, it's a decent teacher's lounge. I did one of my broadcast, broadcasts, one of my podcast episodes from there the other day. Um, but it's, everything is run pretty good. I love the campus. I love um, being on a campus where we have all the grades. Um, when it comes to COVID, I just feel like I'm where... I'm I'm in a place where everybody else is where you you walk down these hallways and there are some people who just you can tell they just don't believe COVID exists. They haven't had any real brushes with it. They believe it's a fluke and they just don't want to wear their masks. And then you have those who absolutely are like, don't even come near me. So. um, That's that. But I'm masked up, um, and there's no guarantee, because nobody knows where COVID comes from. All we know is keep your hands clean, keep your nose and mouth covered. But I was listening to 
the Karen Hunter show and kind of discovered that, you know, A, COVID is here to stay. And B, there are people who never show open signs of COVID, but they have it. And they have the ability to spread it. So being around somebody who doesn't show symptoms is no guarantee. So we get comfortable around people who don't show symptoms. And we get scared around somebody who's coughing or sneezing, which could be the, main, the biggest mistake. So at the end of the day, you know, everybody, you know, just be, be cautious. Take your precautions. Move, move carefully. But... If it's, if it's your time to get it, whatever it is, if it's my time to get it, whatever it is, it's just going to happen. You got to just pray that, you know, you can overcome it and be a living witness that it is real. We are living in, in a COVID society now, and I keep saying it. We need to move forward into being COVID compliant. We need to figure out a way to create masks that people can keep instead of having to recreate masks all the time. And these masks that you can throw away, they need to be applied to a particular situation. I don't know. Somebody needs to invent a mask that you can wear all the time so that we can uh, also continue to save the planet. But until we think about that at the global level or on the whole level, then we're just going to keep running around in circles. Um... I spend a lot of time in quiet. I'm spending I'm getting more reading done than I have in years and it feels good. It feels good to be out of the rat race for just a moment. Um I've started calling this a one year bid in <laughs> in Egypt because um the food is different. Um I did finally get to go we have a track on campus. And last Sunday, not Sunday, because that's the first day of the week. Last Saturday morning, I got up, and as soon as I felt comfortable, I put on my pant, my jogging pants and my T-shirt, and I went and ran four times around the track. And it felt so good. Now, I have to be careful because <clears throat> as far as the food goes, I'm not eating the way I used to. So, yes. I'm, I've dropped some weight, but it's because of these stairs. It's because of these walks to Mall of Egypt. Um, and I'm happy. I feel good. I'm breathing good. Um, yeah, I feel good. But I have to be careful because I don't know. You know, I'll be here till June. So I, I refuse to come home. <laughs> I refuse to come home the size of my wrist. If you know me, you know I have very small wrists. I have the hands of a 12-year-old boy, so I cannot come home and and be proportioned with the size of my wrist. So um, with that being said, I'm just having to be careful about how much I work out. But I have to. Like, my body literally is like, we got to stretch. We need to go stretch. We need to be outside. I need the sun. Today, my body was like, Sun, sun, sun. Let's go get in the sun. Let's go sit in the sun. Um, the sun feels really good here sometimes. There are other days I'm like, I just want to be inside. But there are days where I'm literally like, I want to go sit out in the sun. Because um, it's something about it. It's, I don't, it's different. 
it is different and it feels really good when when I allow my body to to soak in it um I know y'all at home worry yeah know what I wanted to talk about that too um people who worry try to change your central thought from worry to so for instance okay so like my niece is at pv and i want to worry about her i want to worry about my niece that's in new york but it feels so much better to be happy about her taking a risk on her her uh, dreams it feels so much better to just be happy for her because worry comes with a weight that you cannot control Let me say that again. Worry comes with the weight that you cannot control. And the serenity prayer, there's a sentence in the serenity prayer that says, Grant me the wisdom to know the difference between what I can control and what I cannot control. And if you're a praying person the way you say you're a praying person, there really is no room for worry. Worry is a construct. It's a it's a it's a divisive um, emotion that really can, in my mind, be ebbed out with faith. So you deter worry with faith. I want to worry, but I have faith that everything is going to work out exactly the way it should. I want to worry, but I have faith that both of my nieces are being taken care of right now. Actually, all, all of my nieces. Because I have a niece that's in Atlanta. And she's getting over COVID. And luckily, I didn't find out until after the fact. So there was no room for me to worry. And the entire time, I was just being happy for her. Because we had just gotten off the phone. We had just talked probably a week before she got COVID. So have a conversation with yourself about worry because it's, 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 I don't think it's necessary if you're a praying person. If you pray and you talk to God and you got a relationship with God, there's no room for worry. There's only room for faith. Believe that and rest assured and be encouraged in that. When you're worried, you don't get to control that. There's nothing, you just worry. And with worry comes anxiety. With worry comes discomfort. So just have that conversation with yourself. Um, because I believe we're doing a lot of things that come out of our conditioning and not out of an organic sense of knowing who we really are and the day that we all realize that everything is going to shift individually people are shifting and, and yet we're all sitting back watching I'm watching a whole bunch of people shift and it's, a be- it's so beautiful it's beautiful watching people who've never had to deal with the things that I had to deal with because they didn't have to unpack the trauma 
It's a lot of young people right now growing up who will never have to unpack the trauma because the work is already being done. So they will soar. They will rise higher than we've ever imagined what being able to witness somebody rise. And that's a beautiful thing. Change your core thoughts. Get to know who you are. Find some silence and make it a part of your ritual. And I'm not saying pray in that space. You got to make room for prayer. You got to make room for meditation. And you got to make room for silence. And sit in that discomfort. You're never lonely. You're never lonely. You come with the DNA of ancestral cosmic power. When you look at yourself in the mirror, you are looking at a divine reflection of the creator. And the ancestors who are standing between you and the creator. When you call on your ancestors, they come alive in you. They come alive. So if you're not saying the name of some of your ancestors on a regular basis. In my mind, that might be a part of your weakness. I call on ancestors every day now. Every morning before I wake up, I acknowledge somebody. It might be 10 people. It might be one. And ancestors are not just people who you share blood with. Because you don't really know how many people you share blood with. Because we all come from one source. So some days for me, when I'm focused on money, I'm calling on Madam C.J. Walker. When I'm focused on education, I'm calling on Marva Collins. When I'm focusing on self-love, I call on C.J. Gray and Bertha Gray and Louise Freeney. And I realize now that when I say those names, they come alive in me. And they exist. And they are real. Not only that, we all return to that space. So when you call their names, your name is being called. Now, my brother could be right. Maybe I've gotten out in Egypt and I've had a total sunstroke. He might be right. Maybe I need to stay inside. (laughs) But it feels good to feel good, y'all. It feels so good to feel good. And I am just trying to offer a small portion of my awakening. Because there's so much more that I will never share. I can only live it. I cannot ever tell it. I can show you better than I can tell you. There's so much happening to me at the cellular level. And I can only offer small bits and pieces of the awareness that's coming to me. But I believe in the righteousness of the asphalt. (laughs) That's Gino. And I see so clearly now. 
And it's so much I will not be returning to. So much I can't return to. If I even return. That's cosmic. Mars is about to go back into retrograde. Mars. Mercury is about to go back into retrograde. So that could be a part of this whole like. Kamika tripping. Whatever. We have work to do. Everybody has to play their part. Do not live your life for what you want on your obituary. Live your life for your name to be called as an ancestor. From the dust we come and from the dust we shall return. Do the work. And I'm lucky and fortunate to have come out of a collegiate system where most of the people I went to college with, they doing the work. They be on Facebook shining. They be on Facebook shining. Shout out to Donovan Lewis. Shout out to Daniel Keeling. Shout out to Lily Jones. Shout out to Nashawn. Shout out to all y'all. Because I remember being at ET and thinking it was a black school. Because we stuck together. And we came up with strategies. Shout out to Keisha Langford. We came up with strategies for survival. And these things will never be told if we don't tell them. If we don't somehow write these stories down and let people know that we existed and we were a part of the movement. We did what needed to be done. And we hold on to that legacy as alumni, as alums, as alums, excuse me. If this is the dream life and we are born into this, this, this story of you were once king and queens and now you have to um, wade through the quicksand of your blackness which is a false concept like we we gotta wade through this like we will live our whole lives fighting racism when we're being told well at one point you didn't have to we have ancestors who never saw freedom who were literally born on plantations we have ancestors who were literally brought over here on literally brought over here on ships we have ancestors who were literally captured and that's crazy to me that i was born quote unquote free but the stories I have to take into this certain future. I refuse to say it's uncertain, but this certain future that we will one day be there again. Shout out to Sandra Bland. Shout out to Trayvon Martin. If we don't call their names, we're not going to get the help we need, y'all. And I'm way over here in Egypt, connected to the mythology of it all. Did you know Isis is Greek? 
Not, not the person, not the mythology of Isis, but the idea of Isis. The original goddess is Hathor. But when the Greeks came over and interrupted <laughs> Egyptian life, they took the mythology and inserted their own. So the origins of Isis as a as a as as myth comes out of the Greek tradition. She's originally Hathor. Hmm. Okay. So that's it. That's today's podcast, One Year in Egypt. Some days are better than others. I've officially been here a month. We get paid next week. That's a whole nother level of the game because I found out, oh man, you know what? I'm going to do a financial. <laughs> Let me get my check and have the experience I need to have because I'm going to have to get my cat, my check cash this first time around and oh y'all oh y'all oh y'all y'all would be so mad at me once I if I told y'all some of the stuff that's going on over here but I'm over here for a reason I'm over here for a purpose so I some of this stuff I can't tell y'all until after the fact <laughs> but anyway I'm gonna do a financial uh podcast coming up no time after I get my check and let's see what what all of this looks like um but anyway um, that's what's up in the parking lot. I want to thank y'all for listening to the podcast. I want to thank y'all for supporting me. Um, and thank you for leading other people to the podcast. Um, I appreciate y'all. Shout out to Kendi B. Fit, uh, chilling in Houston with Zion, her son. And, um, I love y'all. Thank y'all so much for having my back. Thank y'all so much for rising with me. Thank y'all so much for your prayers and your support. Be good, be good, be good, be God. Peace.